Good evening, all, and welcome. Good to see you here this evening. Good to see the folks joining us on Zoom as well. Our scripture reading tonight is found in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians, chapter 4. I'm going to read the first uh, 20 verses of Ephesians, chapter 4. I, therefore... The prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. Let's come before the Lord and pray together. Our Father, we praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, our Lord. We thank you, Lord God, that he has ascended up on high and poured out on the church the spoils of his victory. We thank you, Lord God, that he has equipped us with everything that we need for life and godliness. We pray, Lord God, that we would not be careless with these glorious gifts, but would walk worthy, that we would learn Christ, that we would edify one another and build up the body, that we would speak the truth in love. O Lord, that we would give ourselves to your service. We ask, Lord God, that you would supply what we need because we live in the midst of a world that knows nothing of our God, that still walks in the vanity of their minds and their understandings are darkened. Lord God, we pray that you would strengthen us to be lights in the world just as our Savior Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Help us, Father, 
to understand what it means to walk worthy, that you will be glorified by the church in Christ Jesus throughout all ages. We ask, Lord God, that you would help us to understand the, the glorious depths of, of your love for us in Christ. Help us to understand who we are. Help us, Lord God, to recognize what you've called us to be and to do. And we pray, Lord God, that it would be our heart's desire to do it. Lord, our God, when we are tripped up by the trials and afflictions that come into our lives, may we be reminded, Lord God, of your goodness and grace. May we be brought back to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and realize the depths of your love for us. And we pray, Holy Father, that we would not be afraid, but would trust in you. Help us, Lord, to wait for you, recognizing that your promises cannot fail. You keep your word. You are faithful. Help us, Lord God, to serve you, even as you've called us to do, knowing that our labor can never be in vain in the Lord. So, Father, we pray that you would make us what we ought to be. Please draw near those who are wrestling with physical infirmities. We pray, Lord God, that you would lift them up and help them to look unto the Lord Jesus. We know how these things drain us, and we pray, Lord God, that you would revive their hearts. Even though the outward man may perish, the inward man can be renewed day by day. By your grace may it be so that not one of us would faint. And Lord our God, perhaps our affliction is caused by our own temptations, being drawn away by our own lust and enticed. Please, Lord God, help us to turn back. Help us to see Christ and the perfection in him. Help us to recognize the vanity of these things of the world that once so enthralled us, but as a matter of fact can never satisfy us. So please, Lord God, whatever it is that afflicts us, help us to wait on the Lord. We ask, Holy Father, that you would put within our hearts that deep desire of the psalmist to see the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. May that be our longing, Lord God. And we pray, Father, that you would use these very means of grace that you have promised. An assembly together like this is for this purpose, that we would be built up in our faith. Lord our God, we thank you for the word of God. We don't need to be guessing at what matters. We have your word. We thank you for the hope that we have. Not a hope so, but a sure hope, a confident hope, because your word cannot fail. O oh Lord our God, we pray that you would help us to live lives that please you, lives that are pure and just and right and good, lives that love, that show grace and delight and mercy. O oh Lord, our God, we pray that we truly would reflect your goodness and grace. So, Holy Father, we pray that you would supply as we have asked and that you would direct our steps so that we would use the resources you provide in the ways that you desire. Help us, Lord, we pray, for Jesus' name's sake. Amen. Again, we welcome Pastor Brad with us this evening. Lord bless as you open the word to us again. Let's pray together as we turn to the word. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have your word to guide our steps. We pray, Lord God, that we would want to be guided. Thank you, Lord God, that your word is like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. And if that is what is necessary, Lord God, may we want that too. 
May we long for your word to cut us open and expose us before your glory so that you can make us what we ought to be. Lord, our God, may we submit to whatever you deem best so that we can be nearer to you. I pray, Lord God, this truly would be our desire. Direct us to use the tools you've given us so that this might be realized in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for the time to meet together today. Lord, use it for your glory. For Jesus' name's sake, amen. Sinclair Ferguson once wrote a little book called Discovering God's Will. And in the course of that book, he asserts that most of us as Christians do not have so much of a knowledge problem as we have an obedience problem. In other words, it's not so much that we don't know what to do, we don't want to do it. And that's why we keep asking God for guidance. We keep hoping he will change his mind on what that guidance might be. We talked this morning about this matter of cultivating a closer walk with God in terms of the reasons why. We spoke in terms of definition. To walk with God is to please God. Uh, to walk with God is to be like God. To walk before him in a covenant relationship. To grow in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To fulfill the purposes that God has for us in making us in the first place. Uh, all of these things fit into that broad category of definition. We also talked about motivation. How can we overcome that tendency we have to forget the Lord? I mentioned a Puritan, Richard Baxter, this morning in a little book he has on this matter of walking with God, and he uses the expression heart atheism in order to get at this idea of confessing ourselves as Christians, but not really believing that God knows best. Uh, we act as if uh, God does not exist, and it amounts to much the same thing. So our conclusion, or at least my conclusion, I hope you agreed with me, but my conclusion this morning was that cultivating a closer walk with God is both possible and desirable and uh, is, uh, falls under the heading of our responsibility under God and through the Spirit. And so if we've followed along that far, if our hearts are being drawn to the Lord who made us for this, then the actual steps to cultivate a closer walk with God will not surprise you. Uh, if you've read your Bible, if you grew up in Sunday school, if you've attended church, uh, then you know exactly what I'm going to talk about tonight. How do we cultivate a closer walk with God? Well, learn to use your Bible well. Uh, pray earnestly and often, develop Christian fellowship, offer regular praise and worship, and so on. Have I amazed you with anything yet? Uh, if you read Acts chapter 2, uh, the description of the early church, what are they doing? Well, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and in prayers. Uh, they continued to praise the Lord and, uh, and, and to, uh, to bear witness uh, to the, the risen Christ. I'm not sure if it was here or if my memory is going all the way back to my childhood, uh, but perhaps you too used to sing, uh, read your Bible, pray every day, and you will 
grow, 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 right? You did sing it, yeah, so it wasn't just my imagination. Uh, in, in other words, the theme of tonight's uh, message is that even a child can understand this. Uh, in fact, if I had thought of it in time, I would have used that line as the title for tonight's message, uh, because that, that's really the point. That, that's what we're, uh, we're talking about. Uh, even though we've heard all of these things, some of us, since we were children, it's still helpful to review the basics, and particularly in light of what we were talking about this morning on this particular topic of cultivating our walk with God. Uh, how do we do this? How, how do we go about this process? Uh, and so under the heading of practical godliness, again, if you're with us this morning, I uh, mentioned that Richard Baxter used that term, uh, Jerry Bridges, same, same kind of, uh, of language. Practical godliness is not just holiness, although that's included, but it's the, the whole matter of living out our lives for the Lord, uh, what God wants. The, the reason God saves a, a, a people. So this is one of those broad general headings uh, that Christian duty, if you prefer, uh, but practical godliness, the outworking of our Christian faith. How do we apply it? Uh, what we're talking about tonight is the therefore sections of the letters. Uh, I read Ephesians 4, and of course it starts with that, right? Therefore, three chapters of, uh, of, of teaching, sometimes heavy teaching, outlining what God has done in Christ to save us. Therefore, walk worthy of this calling. Live it out. Uh, and uh, a number of items go into that. So the first thing then uh, has to do with reading your Bible. Uh, it is a light to our path. And my, my subtitle for this is Use the Bible for Its Intended Function. Now what I'm implying by that is that we can use the Bible for unintended functions. Uh, if we want to grow, if we want to cultivate a closer walk with God, use the Bible for its intended purpose. Uh, and in connection with this matter of walking with God, I'd like to suggest to you uh, that you can, from one perspective, look at the Bible as a book for pilgrims. Our walk is governed by the Word of God. Uh, I, I had a, a Rael read from Psalm 119, uh, at, uh, at the beginning of our, our worship. Blessed are they, uh, the undefiled in the way, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. That him is absolutely important. You read Psalm 119 and you finish it and say, that was a psalm about the word of God. And you say that because almost every verse, I think there's four or five exceptions, but almost every verse out of the 176 verses there are, because there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet times eight verses for each letter. Yeah. Anyway, there are 176 uh, verses. Uh, four or five of them don't have an explicit synonym for the word of God. You've got testimonies, you've got statutes, you've got precepts, you've got commands, you've got the word. Uh, almost every verse says something like that. And you say, this psalm is about the word of God. And I would say, no, it isn't. This psalm is about cultivating a closer walk with God and sees the Word of God as a vital tool in that process. When I read Psalm 119, I always get this picture in my mind of a fugitive running for his life through the thick underbrush, 
Uh, I mean, I grew up in the swamps of Kappa's casing, so thick underbrush, uh, you know, swamps, bogs, uh, heavy clay, and that kind of thing. And, and I picture him kind of running through, trying to uh, escape his pursuers, and, and I see him caked in mud uh, from the swamp that threatened to swallow him up, growing weak through these afflictions, but he's still on track because he's got his Bible in his hand. Picture that man holding his Bible as the lamp to his feet and the light to his path. And he comes to conclusions that, that you know what? For all of my weaknesses and frailties, some of them self-inflicted, he talks about his own weaknesses and going astray and so on. In spite of all of these things, his afflictions have brought him closer to God. He'll say things like, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might keep your word. It was good for me. This was right, so that I would know the Lord. I have more wisdom than the ancients, because I heed your law. The word of God is a pilgrim book. It's for those who are on the journey. It's for those who are beating their way through the underbrush and trying to escape the swamps. The word of God is for you, to cultivate a closer walk with God. I, it makes us long to seek the Lord with our whole heart. Now, uh, of course, you're probably familiar with Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. Uh, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and, and, and so on. This is a little bit more prosaic than my description of Psalm 119, perhaps, but it's getting at the same point. He is encouraging Timothy Paul's at the end of his life, kind of like Moses was this morning in Deuteronomy. Uh, Paul's at the end of his life, giving his final instructions to Timothy and the church, waiting for that crown of life that's, uh, that's being held out for him. And he's leaving Timothy behind in a, a, a terrible place. Uh, I mean, not just Ephesus, which is likely where he was, but, but in a terrible world. And, and he says it's going to wax Worse and worse. Uh, people are going to heap up teachers to scratch them where they itch. Uh, they're going to uh, just say what they, they want to be, to be said. It's going to be hard, Timothy. He gives them charges. Remember in 1 Timothy, I charge you. Uh, and he does the same thing here in, in 2 Timothy 4. I charge you before God. Preach the word. Uh, do the work of an evangelist. Uh, in, in the middle of this environment that is, is, is not conducive in any way to the success of the Christian life, Paul cheerfully urges Timothy not to be ashamed of the gospel, but to press on, to keep on track. And why? Because you have learned these things. From a child, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And when he adds in verse 17, the goal is that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. He's saying that from start to finish, the word of God is your tool. It makes you wise unto salvation. It brings you to faith in Christ in the first place. Uh, according to 1 Peter 1, we are born again by the word of God. And it leads us right to the end. Perfection, reaching the goal, everything that we need through the Word of, of God. It, it, it's profitable for, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. No wonder, Paul says, preach the Word. 
whether you feel like it or whether you don't. At least that's John Stott's interpretation of in season and out of season. Preach the word. Continue to focus on the word of God. It's a book for pilgrims, and it's also a book of precept and practice. And again, hinting a little bit at Psalm 119, uh, the, the Word of God gives us content. It teaches us what we need to know. And in the perspective of the Bible, not knowing the truth is fatal. It, it does matter what you believe. And so we have the Word of God precisely for that reason. It is profitable for doctrine to teach us the truth, to, to ground us in, in what really matters. And it's also profitable for reproof when we're falling into error. Use the Word of God positively for the doctrine, but also negatively to correct your errors, to bring you back on track. And, and the next two words, and again, I'm kind of borrowing from John Stott a little bit on this, uh, is for correction and for instruction in righteousness. Once again, to correct us when we're straying and to instruct us so we don't stray, to keep us on track. So precept and practice, both elements are, are there. The Word of God is designed to show us who God is so that we will walk worthy of the Lord. Uh, in Second Peter chapter 1, another passage is probably quite familiar to you. He tells us at the beginning of the chapter that God has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him who's called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. And then he gives a whole range of things. Give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness uh, charity. All of these things that he wants us to be working at. Practical godliness. The outworking of our faith. But what's the second half of Second Peter 1 about? Well, the second half is about Peter, in his last words to the church, reminding them of everything he taught them before. Peter is effectively saying, at this stage in my life, I'm not going to tell you anything new. But as long as I can still breathe... I'm going to tell you the old things again and again so that you don't forget them when I'm gone. You've got to remember the word. And he too ends with this glorious statement that prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Learn to use the Bible well. Learn to use it for its intended purpose. There's a therefore that we need to pay attention to. So that's the first thing. The Bible as a light to our path. The second thing is that I, I took a lot of little things and kind of bunched them together under a general heading of looking to the Lord. In our church, it never shakes with trains. Boy, I miss that. Eh? Uh, anyway, uh, so putting it all together as looking to the Lord, prayer and, and worship. Um, if you can come up with better titles, go ahead. But here's what I mean by that. First of all, looking to the Lord because we are rooted in Christ. 
uh, one of those uh, Puritans, I, I can't remember which one it was now, I think maybe it was Jeremiah Burroughs, but, but he said, wherever you go, take Christ with you. An interesting way of putting it. But what he means is always to be thinking through Christ. Always look at things through the lens of the gospel. Uh, another way of putting that, set your affection on things above, not on things on, on the earth. Uh, or Ephesians 4.20 that I read earlier, you have learned Christ, the truth as it is in Jesus. That's what is supposed to, uh, to form and, and shape our thinking. Uh, I was particularly thinking of the text in Colossians 2, however, where he says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Now, Paul does not mind mixing metaphors. Uh, your English teacher might hate it, but Paul was quite fine with it. And so he says uh, to walk in Christ rooted in him. Now, how do you walk when you're rooted? I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, but you get the idea. He's switching his, his picture here. Uh, send those roots deeply down into Christ. Be built up in the Lord Jesus Christ. So now he's switched to the construction uh, imagery. Be established in the faith as you have been taught. It's almost like take what picture works for you, but get the point. Walk in him, be rooted in him, be built up in him. But the key is in him. It's having Christ at the foundation that brings everything uh, together. All of the blessings of the Christian faith come through Jesus Christ. Life is in Him, but so is access to God. So is our ability to offer up sacrifices uh, acceptable to God. It's all through Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. And so, be rooted in Christ. In practice, what does that mean? It means that I need to think about Jesus all the time. Uh, I, I don't mean all the time in the sense that you can't do your job, but I mean framing everything in terms of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Look at the world through the lens of the gospel. Understand it from that perspective and live your lives as those who know the Lord Jesus Christ. Be rooted in Christ. A second aspect of this is to repent and confess quickly. Again, a favorite Puritan expression is keep short accounts with God. Pay it off quickly. Don't allow these things to linger on and on. There's a stereotype that some of us, men, uh, some of us have a bit of a stubborn and, and proud streak when it comes to asking for directions. Uh, I know nobody in this room is, is, is like that. But what happens when you're too proud to admit that maybe you took a wrong turn? Well, you really go wrong, Right? If you had admitted it and asked for directions, you could have turned around at the next interchange, maybe you wasted 10 minutes, but no more. But if you stubbornly refuse to ask for directions, you're miles out of the way. Uh, you waste half a day and you're looking for motels on the seedy side of town because you, you've lost uh, your direction. Keep short accounts. Deal with it right away. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Deal with sin. Recognize when we go wrong. Again, 2 Timothy 3, the reproof and correction things for which the word of God is profitable. Allow them to do their job. 
Humble ourselves before God. Do you remember that from Micah 6? Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Pay attention then. And we can avoid lengthy, needless detours in uh, our, our walk. When we're regular with the use of the word of God, when it's a light to our path, then we recognize fairly quickly when we're off the path. Uh, and then make the correction. Humble yourselves before God and make the corrections. The third aspect of, of looking to the Lord that I wanted to mention is to rejoice in the Lord. We were mentioning this morning from Deuteronomy 6, uh, the, the call to walk in the fear of the Lord, love the Lord, serve the Lord, uh, all of these things coming together. Well, in Deuteronomy, there's that context both of our walk and of our worship. It seems to me, uh, and I mean, we've always uh, tried to uh, observe this and, and recognize it here, Worship and singing are never preliminaries. Never think of them as adjuncts uh, to the service. Never think that we're singing a hymn just so your legs don't fall asleep during the sermon. We're singing a hymn because God is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. How do I keep that fixed in my mind? Well, hymn singing is one of the key elements in Scripture. Rejoice in the Lord always. And that doesn't just mean singing, of course, but it certainly includes it. It's one of the key ways that's expressed in, uh, in the Scripture. The New Testament makes that clear. Again, if, uh, just, I've given you two references, but just since we're in Colossians here. Let the peace of God rule in your heart to which you are also called in one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Good hymns direct our attention to the Lord. Good hymns remind us of what Scripture teaches us. Good hymns sometimes slap us in the face. Read Deuteronomy 32 sometime. There's a hymn for you. Uh, they can be corrections. They can be warnings. But they focus our minds on what matters. They help us to remember the things we need to keep in mind. There's a great picture, again, connected with this matter of walking with the Lord in Isaiah 35. Remember this great passage, the desert rejoices and blossoms like a rose, blossoms abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. Uh, the, the whole desert suddenly comes alive because of the glory of the Lord and the excellency uh, of our God. Uh, and in language that Isaac Watts borrowed, or was it Charles Wesley, uh, but in the, the hymn, Oh for a Thousand Tongues, right? The, the lame leap for joy. Uh, the, the, the blind behold their Savior come, and so on. Uh, borrowing some of this, this language. And he says this in verse 8 of that chapter. A highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. And here's one of the most encouraging verses of Scripture uh, for most of us. It shall be for those, the wayfaring ones, 
though fools shall not err therein. You follow the way of the Lord, you can't get lost. Even if you're a fool, if you pay attention to the Lord and walk in His ways, you can't get lost. The way is open. And then what does He say? No lion shall be there, or any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord. You remember this verse? The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What do you do on your journey? You use the Word as a lamp and you sing your hymns of praise to God. And it keeps your focus on on the goal. It keeps your focus on everything that matters. It, It brings back to your mind all of those things we need to know and act upon. You'll find the same thing in the book of Acts. Regularly as it talks about the life of the church, through persecution, through suffering, through all kinds of trial, Luke keeps giving these little summary statements about how they rejoiced in the Lord. Then they were glad when they heard that. Are you glad? (laughs) Right? We want to cultivate a closer walk with God. Then sing. Remember why you are glad. Remember how your God deserves your praises. And then a fourth thing. Rely on God's goodness. Now again, you guys are going to want to get these books by these Puritans, but let me, just one or two more uh, uh, quick references. But uh, Jeremiah Burroughs um, deals with this at length. The Puritan days were, were hard days. Uh, they, they faced a lot of persecution, a, a lot of trial. You might remember, uh, you know, John Bunyan and Pilgrim's Progress written in jail and, and, and that kind of, of thing. These were hard days. And Burroughs writes to those Christians who are thinking to themselves, I would love to walk with God, but there's no evidence God wants to walk with me. He seems so far away from me. And so Burroughs writes with compassion to them and reminds them that, that even if it seems like God is hiding His face, He's still there. The withdrawal, this is his line, the withdrawal of the comfort of God's presence is not a withdrawal of His presence. You may not feel it as you do at other times, but God hasn't changed and He hasn't moved. And He says this is sometimes Uh, brought on by the Lord because we need to be brought back to where we look only to Him. And if we want to find God, go where you know He is. Uh, In other words, go back to the Word. Go back to the paths. Go back to the road. uh, and, uh, And walk with Him and know His goodness. And then again, connected with that, the actual matter of prayer. Uh, Request help. Make your requests known to God. Prayer is an interesting item because it's not only part of cultivating a closer walk with God, it's how we enjoy that closer walk with God. We, we come into His presence. We have access through the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and, uh, and, and the glory of, of calling upon Him, making our requests known. A third aspect of these ways to cultivate a closer walk with God 
Love your fellow pilgrims. One of the dangers of a theme like this uh, is that I might say we need to cultivate a closer walk with God. And because of the age in which we live and the place where we live, we tend to think individually. What the pastor wants each one of us to do is to go off with the Lord by ourselves. Well, just for the record, that's not what the pastor wants you to do. You're to come together. Remember Ephesians 4? The therefore stated broadly is walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. And what does he immediately say? Keeping the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Love, forbearance, building one another up using the gifts that are given to the church so that we will be made strong, so the body is, is, is built up. And then in the practical applications that are, are in the second half of Ephesians 4 that we didn't read, it's the same kind of thing. Uh, speak truth, every man to his neighbor. Uh, there's, there's generosity, there's kindness, there's forgiveness. All of these things uh, are, are part of this. You see, as, as Paul points out at the end of Philippians chapter 1, we live in a dangerous world. And there is great benefit to being together in a dangerous world by encouraging each other, as we're commanded to do, so that no one has an evil heart of unbelief. That we continue to look to the Lord Jesus Christ and we pick each other up along the way. Ecclesiastes suggests something like this. If you're by yourself and you fall, who can lift you up? But if somebody's with you, they can pick you up. And then it adds this phrase, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We walk with the Lord, and we walk together with the Lord and build each other up. And, and the fourth thing, in terms of practical godliness, labor to the end, knowing that it will never be in vain. 2 Peter 1 calls us to diligence. Make every effort. There's something here for us to do, but we get tired doing it. We are urged not to give up, but to recognize the exceeding great and precious promises. I probably told you before too, that's one of my favorite lines. Exceeding great and precious promises. What encouragement is packed into that? Make use of these resources and do not give up. Scripture never calls us to make every effort until it has told us about Jesus Christ. Until it has told us about the resources that are ours in the Lord Jesus. When Hebrews wants to encourage the believers to persevere, it uses Abraham as an example of one who kept on believing the promises until they were kept. He was walking by the promise and did not lose heart. Jesus is our trailblazer. Keep our eyes focused on Him. Now, as I said, none of that is rocket science. You knew what the message was going to be about uh, as, as soon as you heard. How are we to cultivate a closer walk with God? Well, it's pretty straightforward, isn't it? It's pretty obvious. But we need to recognize the value of it. We need to long to walk with the Lord and therefore to learn how to use the tools to put them into practice. But having said that, 
I wanted to conclude by reminding you that we are not alone. This time not meaning we're with other Christians, but the Lord will never leave us or forsake us. The Lord Jesus Christ promised His Spirit. What does the giving of the Spirit to help us walk demonstrate? Well, the first thing is that it demonstrates what we were trying to say this morning. The giving of the Spirit proves that our walking with God is His intention. It's God's plan. That's why He pours out His Spirit. He gives us His Spirit so that we will know that we are children of God. He gives us His Spirit because He wants to dwell with His people. This morning I referred to Leviticus 26 in that regard. Uh, I will not abhor you, but I will make, I'll pitch my tent there. I will set up my tabernacle in, in your midst. God wants to dwell in the midst of His people. Then you read Ephesians 2, the end of Ephesians 2. How does He do that? He dwells amongst His people by the Spirit. Pours out His Spirit upon the church and He dwells with us. That's why we've got that great uh, promise that we often quote to each other uh, where two or three are gathered together. There is He in the midst. God loves to be with His people. Especially with His gathered people, but He just loves to be with His people. And the pouring out of the Spirit is the proof of that. He gave the Spirit so that this might happen. I've given you tonight what some older writers used to call the means of grace. In other words, it's grace, but there are means to enjoy that to its fullest. And the means of grace were things like we've talked about. Praying, reading the Bible, singing together, uh, you know, fellowshipping together, uh, pressing on with the resources we have, and, and so on. The interesting thing is that even while we are being urged to make use of these tools, these resources, the Spirit is behind them all. When you think about the Word of God, why do we have the Word of God? Well, we already read it, right? The Word of God is given by inspiration. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is involved in the giving of the Word of God. Jesus said that. Uh, if I go away, the Spirit will come, and He will lead you into all truth. He will take the things of mine and make them known to you. The Spirit is responsible for us having the Scriptures, but then you read 1 Corinthians 2, and the Spirit is responsible for our understanding the Scriptures. Who knows the mind of God except the Spirit of God? Apart from the Spirit of God, we would crucify the Lord of glory. But we have the mind of Christ because the Spirit takes the Word and shines it in our hearts. What about prayer? Romans 8. Even when we don't know what to say, the Spirit prays with groanings that cannot be uttered. Ephesians 6.18, same kind of thing. Praying in the Spirit, always for all the saints. And, and so we have these tools like using the Word of God, but it's not like it's up to me all alone to figure out how to use the Word of God. We have the Spirit. And 
I am urged to pray, but sometimes I don't know what to say. Sometimes I, I, I get down on my knees and I get as far as dear Heavenly Father and, and, and there's a long blank here. But the Spirit helps us along the way. God wants us to walk with Him. And He gives us everything we need to accomplish that goal. We talked about the fellowship of the church so that each one is edified, every part doing its work. It's the Spirit that's behind this. How is it that the church, which is made up of us, right? Uh, we're not all that spectacular sometimes. It's made up of us, yet it's useful precisely because of the Spirit. Precisely because God is at work. The Spirit is the one who convinces us that we are children of God and stirs up our desire to walk with God as our Father. So the first implication of God giving us His Spirit is that this proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is God's intention that we would know Him, that we would delight in His fellowship and in His presence. But there's a second implication. The fact that God has given us His Spirit means that these tools, these means of grace, are far more effective than you might think they are. You and I quickly grow discouraged with things, right? Some of us have a love-hate relationship with technology. For some of us, it's just a hate-hate relationship with technology. But it comes along and you turn the thing on and something goes wrong and you say, this is useless, it'll never help. And we give up. Sometimes we do the same thing with the means of grace. We read a few pages of the Bible and I don't get it. I don't see how this is helpful. And we close the book. We try to pray and it sounds like our voice is just echoing around the room and nothing else. And, and so we call it quits. Or continue just half-heartedly because we know we're supposed to. But trust God. Because He gives His Spirit, the means that He chooses to use are powerful and effective, much more so than they might look to you at first glance. Let me explain a little bit. You remember that Paul, especially in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, underlines that the central means of evangelism is preaching the word. Now, if you say that to someone in our time, what's the response? Well, that's so last century, right? Uh, nobody's going to listen to the preaching of the, the word anymore. They act as if preaching the word as evangelism was chosen on the basis of first century demographic studies. But that's not what Paul says. He doesn't say, preach the Word of God as the key means of evangelism because he thought it was the best means of evangelism. It's because he says it pleases God by the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. So why do we use preaching? Because it pleases God. And if God intends to use the means, then the means are effective. So, when we turn to the Bible, we ask for help. We pray that we'll understand 
what we need to understand right now. Maybe there will be another thousand pages that I don't understand right now, but I'll understand the page I need to know. God shines His light on our path. God gives us the wisdom that we need along the way. And as we read His Word, we meet with Him. We draw into His presence. And we are walking with God. If we long for a closer walk with God, and I I pray that you do, then use the means that God Himself has appointed. Put them into practice and trust Him. They're empowered by His Spirit. That's our plan for us. Do this because that's what God said to do. Don't faint along the way and do not stray from the path. When I was speaking at the pastor's fellowship a couple of weeks ago, I told them about something that happened to me one Saturday morning when I was out for my walk when I was still living here a number of years ago. And I was walking over in the area of the park, you know, just around by the, went under the Paris Street Bridge and kind of around there. And uh, an elderly lady in a car pulled up uh, beside me as I was, I can't remember the name of the street, but as I was coming up to the the stop sign, uh, and I was just a block down from Paris. The traffic lights were right there. I think it was John Street or something. Uh, But, but, but she pulls up beside me and she asks me, how do I get downtown? And I say, well, you turn right, right here, and you see those lights, you go to those lights and you turn right. And I mean, we're at the Paris Street Bridge, you just drive over the bridge and, and you're there. And I watched helplessly as she drove away, drove up to the traffic lights and turned left. <laughs> and I thought to myself, Either she didn't want to go downtown, (laughs) she was trying to avoid it, uh, or she wasn't paying attention. And if she kept going that way, it would be a long time before she would get all the way back around uh, to the downtown. If we want to walk with God, ask for directions. But listen to the directions (laughs) and put them into practice. Let me conclude with two words from the prophets. The first one is from Jeremiah. Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. You want to walk with God? Ask. Get directions. And then be sure to listen. Isaiah adds, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. May our love of the Lord abound and overflow as we draw ever nearer. May we cultivate a closer walk with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for every blessing we receive from your hand. And we pray, Lord God, that truly you would build us up and strengthen us as we seek to walk in your steps. Please, Lord God, these things are good for us. We know they're good for us. They're your plan. They're your purpose. They satisfy us like nothing else ever will. But, oh, Lord God, how stubborn we are. How often we turn the wrong way. How often we think you don't know what you're doing. Oh, forgive us, Lord, 
and draw us nearer, still nearer, close to your heart. May it be so, Lord God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.